Welcome to Infused Church Online. My name is Taylor, and we are continuing our series called Bad Blood with Part 3 today, where we're going to talk about the two most important things you should do before and during a bad blood conversation or conversation where you're trying to resolve maybe bad blood that you have with someone. So I hope you'll stick around to find out what those two things are. Today we're in part three of our series, Bad Blood. Um, If this series were a movie, which is kind of like how and why we do series like we do, we're kind of on the last half of the movie. So if you're jumping in today, I will try to make it as easy to follow as possible. Um, But there may be some things or some ideas or some questions that you have. And I would really encourage you to go back and watch uh, part one and part two on our website or download it on our app, or maybe today is interesting enough to you, or somebody pops into your mind like they need today, you can send them the, the message on uh, via our website, or, or tell them to download the app. So regardless, um, bad blood is something we all have, um, at least in the last two weeks. I think we've pretty well established that. Um, and if we, have, we don't have it now, which is pretty impressive, um, we certainly have probably had it in our past. Um, and if it's not current or in our past, certainly there will be some point in the future where something like bad blood beca- comes between you and someone else. And the whole premise of this series um, comes from a guy named Paul. He was a follower of Jesus. He started a lot of uh, churches around the Mediterranean Rim. He wrote half of the New Testament. And one of the letters that make up the New Testament uh, in the Bible is a letter to the church in Rome. And it was probably a church kind of like this, maybe about the same size, in fact, because at the time the church was persecuted. And it was brand new, so there'd be small little groups of people meeting in people's houses, probably like this. So Paul writes a letter to them, and in reference to bad blood or the moments in which we have blood, he said this. He said, if it is possible, if it's possible, because it may not be possible, and that's what we talked about last week, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, because if you want to find peace, if you want to have peace in those bad blood relationships, really in all relationships, you have to start with you. You need to live at peace with everyone. Live at peace with everyone, which is a tall order certainly to do. And that means a lot of things we talked about in week one, that it meant maybe seeing things from the other side, from the other person's perspective, um, and empathizing with them. Some of you are familiar with that word empathy. Some of you are not. You should open up the dictionary and read it because it is a very helpful term when it comes to bad blood, empathy. And then in some cases, it just may not be possible. In those cases, what we talked about last week was that we seek to understand, or if we're a Jesus follower, we would seek to understand by following Jesus. And if that doesn't make sense or you need more context, again, I encourage you to go back and watch last week. But if you do, if you seek understanding, you can have peace about a relationship, even if you don't have peace in the relationship, which is a pretty incredible thing to be able to experience. Because at the end of the day, really, we all want peace. That's all an understandable and a goal that we all have in common. Now today, I thought it would be really good if we spent our time together talking about conversations, or specifically how to have a conversation or conversations, to which some of you would say, you know how to do this. Some of you, in fact, know how to do this a little too well. Some of you don't stop doing this, and you really should. Sometimes I put myself into that bucket, um, and some of you have been on the receiving end of that because sometimes I'll be talking, and, and I have to apologize to my wife often uh, to, because I do this. In fact, some of you have actually apologized for doing this to you. I will kind of bridge the gap between a conversation, which will then turn into more like a mini-sermon. It's just a habit. 
And then I'll kind of stop myself and I'll realize and I'm say, sorry, I just got to preaching. Yes, some of you know that. But conversations are really important. They're really important when they are connected to bad blood. And that's the kind of conversations I want to talk about today. Having a conversation in relationship to or in relationship with someone in, where bad blood has come between the two of you, or maybe you're aware of bad blood between two people and you're kind of connected to them, maybe they're a family member or a friend, and you're going to help kind of translate and navigate through those bad blood relationships. Or maybe, and we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about this, maybe there's a possibility of bad blood. Maybe the conversation that you're going to have is kind of high stakes, where you know there is a great chance, a high chance, that there could be bad blood created by just simply having that conversation. And so if the goal is peace, you will have to have a conversation. But this is really hard to do. In fact, I would say, especially because it's Father's Day, and I thought this would be a great topic for today, because fathers, I mean, I don't want to assume something about you, but we tend not to be the greatest when it comes to having healthy, in-depth, uh, you know, both directions are talking kind of types of conversations. Bad blood conversations are just not exceptionally our strong suit. Men, again, I don't want to speak for you, but I think we just have an easier time starting conflicts and bad blood then we do resolving them, okay? You don't have to agree with me, but I, I, just, I just think we have a tendency to err more on the side of starting them rather than resolving them. But one thing we all have in con common, regardless of gender, is if there is a bad blood conversation to be had, we have a great ability, an incredible ability, sometimes like superhuman ability to figure out a way to avoid a conversation or conversations connected to bad blood. By just a show of hands, real quick, um, because we are in church, so you probably should be honest because we're in church, okay? By a show of hands, how many of you would say at some point in your life, up till now, you have avoided a conversation because of bad blood? Okay. Okay, handful of you have led perfect lives. That's exciting. I'm really proud for you. Next week, how about you do the preaching, okay? I'll just sit down and listen, okay? No, because we all have bad blood, and we have all avoided bad blood, I mean, what was that conversation that you avoided? What was it about? When was it? Maybe it was you avoided mentioning something to your boss because you knew it might create bad blood between you and a coworker, or you and your bad blood, you and your boss, but you just didn't want to bring it up because you knew it'd be difficult. And you didn't know exactly how it would end. Or maybe you had to have an honest conversation to a friend of yours because you're looking at their choices and and maybe boyfriends or girlfriends, that's a really common one, and you're like, this is just not smart, but you don't say anything, do you? Because you know there's going to be bad blood that comes from it. Or, have you ever done this? Have you ever avoided a conversation with your pastor because it could have created bad blood? Anybody ever done that before? One, fantastic, thank you. All the rest of you are, well, I, I won't assume anything, okay? Uh, but it happens, yeah. You're like, I don't want to say that to them. I don't want to say that to him or her because I don't want to offend them or I don't want to own up to maybe the mistakes I've made in my past and maybe they're going to judge me and maybe they're going to create bad blood towards me, whatever it may be. And what happens? What happens is it costs us something. It costs us. There is a cost when we avoid conversations connected to bad blood. Whether it eats us up a little bit inside or a lot of bit inside. There is a point at which maybe in the future you think, well, this is the right decision to avoid it in the present, but then in the future you're looking back and you're saying, you know what, I wish I would have said something. 
I wish I, would have, I wish I would have been honest. You know what? Had I had that conversation, had I not ended up avoiding the conversation, it could have saved the relationship. It could have saved a marriage. And in fact, I would even go so far as to say, the cost isn't just to you, and it isn't just to the other party in that bad blood connection, but it could have external impacts. It could have lasting impacts on other people's lives, other people whom you know, or your kids' lives, because you avoided the bad blood conversation. The truth didn't come out. What did that look like for you? Now, a book that I would highly recommend, and one of the books I read in preparation for this series, was a book um, called Crucial Conversations. I encourage you to download it, to read it, or uh, on your Kindle, or maybe you listen Audible. You're an Audible person. I'm an Audible person. Um, and, and I really encourage you to go through this. And, and when in the first couple chapters of this book called Crucial Conversations and how to navigate these things successfully, um, they did a survey and of, uh, of nurses and the question essentially was, when, have you ever felt um, uncomfortable or avoided having a conversation about uh, a mispractice or uh, failure to follow hospital policy or something that was just unsafe for the patient? Have you ever, as a nurse, not communicated when probably you should have and instead avoided for fear of bad blood? And, and you would be, sh- I mean, it's really quite shocking. One in 12 nurses say that they felt comfortable speaking up when they saw something that was unsafe or against hospital policy. Frightening, isn't that? A little bit. Or they surveyed um, about a thousand business leaders and looking at their business and said, just, just give us an estimate of how much it, you think it has cost your business when people fail to have uh, bad blood conversations, crucial conversations in your environment. And the average number that they gave as a thousand business leaders was about $7,500 per uh, um, avoided bad blood conversation. Many business leaders put it even as so high as $50,000 to $100,000 per missed opportunity to have a conversation because people avoided it. And they just know, had they had it, these events wouldn't have transpired or at least transpired in the way that they did and cost the company so much. And honestly, you knew that, though. I didn't need to give you those statistics to know that avoiding a bad blood conversation will cost you in some way. You know intuitively something in your heart. Now, as Christians, we would probably call that the image of God or maybe the Spirit of God just kind of impressing upon our heart to have that conversation, but we don't. And I think part of it, and probably in fact a lot of it, is we just don't know how. It's not that we don't want to, we just don't know how to have those conversations. And this is really quite understandable because it's not hardly ever modeled for us. It's not like our parents sat us down and talked us through how to have a crucial conversation, or we saw our parents have healthy crucial conversations, conversations in which you could see bad blood between your parents. It never was taught in school how to do this, and you just know inherently it's very complicated to do it successfully. And so today, my hope for all of us is that we would consider two things that we could do to really, and I'm getting really simple here because crucial conversations, bad blood conversations are really difficult, but two things that if we just did those two things, I believe it would really, really change the outcome when a bad blood conversation comes around and hopefully give you more confidence to say, I'm not going to avoid it. I am going to go forward and have this conversation. 
So the resource that we're going to use today to figure out how to do this, uh, that we're going to look at today, uh, is a, uh, a book from the Old Testament called Nehemiah, to which some of you may say, Nehemiah who? And that's totally okay. Um, it's not a book that's often talked about or preached about, um, but it is actually, for me, it's one of my most favorite books because it's just such a practical, practical read. There's not much for miracles or things like that. Not that I'm against miracles, but it's just more relatable because miracles don't generally make up my everyday life, and they didn't either for Nehemiah. But Nehemiah did two things in the first two chapters of his autobiography. He, he wrote it um, that gives us some insight into how to have these difficult conversations. Now, Nehemiah is a Jewish guy, um, but he's not living in Israel. He's not living in Jerusalem. Uh, He's living in another place we'll get to in a second, and he is in the role of a cupbearer. He's the cupbearer for the king, which essentially means he tries the drinks before the king does so that if uh, it's poisoned, he dies and not the king. So that's, that's kind of a cool gig. Um, generally speaking, they're paid pretty well for it, but regardless. Um, so he has this very um, uh, close relationship with, with the king at the time, okay? And so these events, the events that Nehemiah tells us about, happen about 444 B.C., so about 2,500 years ago, okay? And at this point in the story, the first two chapters, he's located in a city called Susa, which is in modern-day Iran. I brought a map along. Susa is right here, okay? Um, you see the Persian Gulf down here. This is Saudi, Saudi Arabia. Susa is currently in, in modern-day Iran. You can, in fact, go and visit it today. There's ruins there. It's pretty expansive. There's some really incredible stories I could go on about Susa and some of the things they've discovered and how that actually lines up with some other stories within the Bible. It's just, it's really neat. But here's the ruins of Susa. It's pretty, pretty incredible because this was the capital of the Persian Empire at the time, which was the dominating empire at the time. And so when chapter one opens in Nehemiah, Nehemiah is doing his thing, being a cupbearer, and one of his brothers um, from back in Jerusalem shows up to tell him some very bad news. And the bad news is that Jerusalem, the city of David, the home of Nehemiah and the culture, the, the pinnacle of Judaism, God's city, where the temple of God, where the presence of Yahweh resides, is suffering things aren't going well. They're suffering internally. There's definitely some bad blood going on because when things don't go well, bad blood just kind of just happens. When people don't feel good, bad blood just happens. Externally, there was a lot of bad blood going on. There's a lot of external forces that were trying to keep Jerusalem from um, its glory days, from restoration, and so they were dealing with bad blood there. And so essentially, the brother lays this all out to Nehemiah and says, Nehemiah, we just need help. And what's so incredible is how Nehemiah responds. And it's not too different from you and I. He says, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. For some days I mourned. We got to pay attention. We got to pay attention to these emotions. Because this is just like bad blood. When you feel this about a relationship, relationship that maybe is more defined by bad blood than anything else, got to pay attention. Because our temptation is to avoid it because we feel bad and it's uncomfortable. We justify it away. We say, there's no need for a conversation. It'll just, it'll just go away over time. But Nehemiah is not going to avoid it. Nehemiah is going to have the tough conversation, as we'll see. In fact, the first big step in this story of Nehemiah that we're going to focus on today is a conversation that he has to have with the king. 
And the king at the time um, is a guy named Artaxerxes, okay? And Artaxerxes, um, uh, well, you may know him for a number of reasons, but essentially Nehemiah is going to have to go to Artaxerxes and get permission to leave. And chances are that um, the king is not going to be too stoked about this, uh, because generally speaking, you don't go to kings and ask for things. You go to kings and give them things. Not always, but in a lot of situations, if you want to make sure everything's safe, that this conversation's going to go well, you don't ask for stuff. You just try to do things that benefit the king. And essentially, Nehemiah is going to go into King Artaxerxes, and he's going to say, King Artaxerxes, I realize I have not saved up enough vacation to take a trip to Jerusalem, and I don't have short-term leave. We don't have that thing yet. And I need to go back and restore Jerusalem, which historically has actually been kind of a rebellious city. In fact, when conquerors would come in, like Babylon and Rome and, and, and the Persian Empire, the, the city of Jerusalem would push back. They would fight back. And so essentially, Nehemiah is going in and saying, hey, you have no reason to grant me this request, but I would like to go back and restore a city, which is in your empire, to its glory. And very well could, at some point now, because they're in glory and they're all better and everything's going well, they could rebel. It's possible. The stakes are pretty high for this conversation because Worst case scenario, Nehemiah could just lose his life at the hands of King Artaxerxes. And so that's what I want to hear or see and look at today. Now, King Artaxerxes, just real quick, you may be familiar with him because of his father, King Xerxes, by the way. Uh, you may have heard of him if you uh, were in history class, maybe, um, growing up, going through high school, something like that. Or maybe you just watched the movie 300, okay? Um, I don't know. There's other movies about him. But essentially, he's famous uh, for a battle called the Battle of Thermopylae, um, otherwise known um, as uh, the whole, like, this is Sparta, and kicks him off, the, and then he falls. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie. But anyways, okay, so that, that's where he's famous for. And so he had a son, and his son was called Artaxerxes, okay? And so that's the guy we're focusing on today. So Nehemiah has to have this intense conversation, okay? And here's what Nehemiah does first. And here's what I hope that you would consider doing first. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned. And then, and then what does he do? And fasted and prayed before God in heaven. And his prayer goes like this. He says, God, I, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm not much good at a lot of things, and I make a lot of mistakes, and I've hurt you, and I've hurt other people. And your people, your, your chosen people, the Israelites, the Jewish people, um, they have certainly done uh, some pretty bad things, God. And in fact, that's kind of why we're in this whole predicament in the first place. Um, but Lord, you promised. You promised you'll help us if we need help. And uh, I'm, calling that, I'm calling in that lifeline. I need some help here, Lord. I need some help here. And so he makes this big, long prayer, which you can read later in chapter 1. But this is how he ends the prayer. He says, he says this, Give your servant, praying to God, give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. And the man, of course, is King Artaxerxes. And so my hope to you is before you go into any bad blood conversation, you would think about praying. That when you finally decide that, yes, I am going to have the conversation, regardless of how it goes, I'm going to begin it with prayer. And I'm not just going to pray once, or I'm not going to pray just like five minutes before the, you know, the meeting. I'm sitting down for coffee. I'm with my coffee, and it's like, oh, it's such a delicious cup of coffee, but I better pray, and God, help me get through this next 30 minutes, and don't let it be terrible, and, you know, that kind of thing. I'm talking Nehemiah prayer. I'm talking praying for days, 
okay? Maybe throw in a little bit of fasting. It's not something we talk about a lot, but, but you could even try that, okay? Um, you could do some fasting, okay? That's the kind of prayer. Now, I understand if you're not a Jesus follower, that's just kind of weird to you. Like, why would I pray? Listen, if you're going to have a conversation, a bad blood conversation, don't you spend days thinking about it anyways? Like running it through in your mind before you have that conversation? Yeah, me too. The only difference is I just do it with God. And I say, hey God, give me your thoughts on this. Help me to understand my piece of the pie and help me to understand their perspective and help me to just get understanding all around this and creator of the universe, could you help me out with this? So it's totally up to you. You can just pray on your, or you can just do your own thing and think about it on yourself, or you just invite God into it and have a conversation that way. So you begin with prayer. And then it comes to this big moment, this big bad blood potential. Bad blood's just written all over this conversation for that matter. Nehemiah's on duty, cupbearer to the king. Okay, so he's bringing the king the cup. And here's how this conversation goes. I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why? Why are you sad? Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of the heart. Translation is, something's bothering you. Something's bothering you. Nehemiah goes on, I was very much afraid. But I said to the king, may the king live forever. Note what Nehemiah does. He said, I'm not going to shy away from my, my emotions. I'm nervous. I'm feeling uncomfortable. This is not fun. It is okay to feel that. You do not have to be this impervious, you know, just stronger, confident than anyone kind of person going into this bad blood conversation. Be honest with it. But look at what Nehemiah does. And we kind of write this off as just like, well, that's how you talk to a king. But I hope we would look at this a little bit closer. May the king live forever. Now, you may be tempted to say, well, that's just kind of like sucking up because that's what you do to a king. You just suck up to the king. But let's be fair, it's a little bit more difficult when we read it and we weren't there. Because a lot of sucking up kind of comes across a little bit in how you inflect your voice and how you carry yourself, your body language in that mo moment, you know. You've seen it when somebody's sucking up, haven't you? They smile a lot bigger than normal, you know, that kind of whole thing. Okay, so anyways, Nehemiah does this in different forms multiple times, over and over and over again. And this is a really, really important idea. Follow me on this, okay? The story goes on. Why should my face not look sad? He's talking to the king, answering his question. Why do you look sad? Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it you want? What do you need, Nehemiah? And then watch what Nehemiah does. He prayed before, and then he's going to pray during he says, then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king. And watch. You could write this off as sucking up, but just watch. If it pleases the king, and, not, and if your servant has found favor in his sight. 21st century translation, this isn't sucking up. This is just showing respect to a king. Now, what if you went into a bad blood conversation, you're ready to go, you sit down, and somebody, the other person that you're sitting with, began by respecting you. Began and said, hey, I just, before you even, maybe even show up, you're just like, hey, you know, uh, they call you up and they say, hey, could, could we just find a time? Any time works. I will make time, whatever works for your schedule. I just like to meet. And I'd be totally okay if you do all the talking. I just like to listen. 
Because when, when you look at me, I think you look at me, and there is bad blood there. They're calling you up. They're saying this to you. But I hope that when we sit down and we talk it over, that from this point forward, you look at me, and I have found favor in your eyes. Maybe don't, they won't say that, but they'll say something like that, right? I mean, they'll just say, from this point forward, I want to have a positive relationship. I don't want our relationship to be defined by bad blood. How would that make you feel? It'd make you feel one step closer to peace. And that's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah didn't say, it's all about me. Nehemiah created a safe environment. A safe environment was created by Nehemiah saying, I hope the king lives forever. King, if it finds you, you know, if, if what I say finds you in a good place, and, and if you look at me and you know that I'm not here to, you know, take advantage of you, I'm just here to help you. If you look at me and, and we could find favor in one another's eyes, I would like that. I would like to create an environment of mutual respect. Because chances are, because there's bad blood, the respect is gone. Isn't that true? I think if we all went into bad blood conversations, or when we see a bad blood conversation starting, or we're on the sidelines watching one, happen, watching one happening, we would stop, time out, and say, is this a safe environment? Has a safe environment been created for everyone? That when we decide, hey, we're going to have a conversation, we schedule a time, we started with prayer, all that good stuff, the whole conversation, we make sure a safe environment is being created. See, the thing about safety or respect or kind of whatever adjective you want to put in this, it's kind of like air. Feeling safe is like air. We don't think about it. We just go about our day, breathing in, breathing out, all that thing. We don't think about it until it's gone. And when that air is gone, that is the only thing you think about. As soon as things start to derail, someone doesn't feel safe. You don't feel safe. You feel threatened. Everything becomes harder because it's just harder to breathe when there's no air. Imagine trying to, to navigate a crucial bad blood conversation when you're suffocating, when you're panicking, when you're distracted. What is the chance of that succeeding? Like zero. Will someone listen if you're trying to talk to them about a bad blood situation and they don't feel safe? They're suffocating? Would you? No, of course not. Of course not. Imagine, imagine if Nehemiah would have gone in, and this is really what we do all the time in bad blood conversations whenever you have one. Imagine if Nehemiah went in with the attitude of, I feel safe. Sounds ideal, right? We're tempted at first to look, look at that and say, well, that, that sounds good, Taylor. I mean, that, that's the goal, right? That's what you're talking about. No, 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 that's not what I'm talking about. Because when we go into conversation and all we're worried about is I feeling safe, me feeling safe, we have this ability to come across as a little bit arrogant, a little bit my way or the highway, a little bit disrespectful, a little bit pushy, a little bit demanding and demeaning. If Nehemiah would have done that and was only concerned in that moment for his, himself, and he's going in there and he's feeling all confident, like, I feel safe, God's on my side, you know, he would have gone in there, he would have probably lost his head. Even with God on his side. I'm just, just being honest with you. Because when you don't think of the other person, 
and how they're feeling. And they are threatened. And they're taking it personally. And the air has left the room. Things go downhill really quickly. See, our temptation, especially for those of us, and I include myself in this, if you have kind of a more of a pushy personality, um, this is a very uh, normal thing. Some of us are, uh, tend to be a little bit more pushy than others. Or we, um, If you've ever taken a disc profile, uh, you could do that at home. Just go online, search disc profile. And, and if you're a D, um, it's a little domineering. You kind of just push your way. Um, you dominate the conversations. If that's your personality type, you have a tendency to go into these conversations and you walk out, and you say, think to yourself, well, I said what I needed to say. They didn't speak much. Honestly, they didn't have much time to speak because I was speaking, but that's not the point. I feel good about that. You know, I got what's on my chest off, and, uh, you know, things are good. That is an I feel safe attitude. If there's no safety, they won't contribute. In fact, they'll probably feel hurt. So we have to switch to an attitude of, does everyone feel safe? Not an I feel safe. Does everyone feel safe? See, in the absence of safety, in the absence of safety, and while we're suffocating, while we're feeling threatened, a conversation quickly becomes personal. Imagine this week you go to Hy-Vee or Fairway or wherever you go get groceries, okay? And you walk up and there's a guy on the corner and he's standing there, guy or gal for that matter, and they got a sign up or something like that and, and, and then they yell at you. Maybe they yell at your car and they're like, you know, you're a sinner, repent, you know, bad, shame on you, shame on you, all that good stuff, okay? You know what I'm talking about, okay? Isn't there a part of you, just a part of you that's like slightly offended? I mean, I know as a not Jesus follower when I was going through that phase of my life, I would have been offended, I would have said something to the effect of, like, you don't know me. You don't know me. Why, why you judge me like that? And I'm guessing you probably wouldn't go out of your way to, like, seek a connection with that person, even though maybe you know that you should, but regardless. You wouldn't. So isn't it interesting that if you were here last week, I said practically the same thing. Now, granted, I didn't hold up a sign and yell it, but the content was still the same. I said we're all sinners. I said we need to repent. But I said repentance and sin is not usually what we think about. And I explained what sin is and I explained what repentance is and, and that we're changing paths and that, wow, when you think about repentance, not as like repent, but like I'm just changing paths in my life. I'm changing directions. A new direction makes it a little more tolerable, doesn't it? What's the difference? Why is it that at least most of you came back after last week because you don't feel threatened. You feel safe. You know I'm not here to shame you, to guilt you, pressure you. I'm here to help you. We create a church for imperfect people. Why? Because we want everybody to feel safe, to explore faith, and find community. You know those placards at some of your works and your offices? Safety first, right? Safety first. That's the attitude we have to do. If you maintain safety, dialogue flows. If you maintain safety, things can be honest. No sugarcoating. You hear the whole thing. Get the whole picture. Not hiding things. Our tendency, our tendency, you know this, we only share like 90% of it, don't we? Like if, if our boss says, hey, how, how's the team doing? We share the 90% that's really good and we kind of may not so much share the 10% until it gets real bad or we're really frustrated. Then we'll let it out. 
Safety, if safety increases, if you know it is a safe environment, you will be more versus less. You'd be more likely to share the tough stuff, the bad blood, than you would if it wasn't a safe environment. What if? What if instead of the king, king going to Nehemiah and saying, hey, what do you want? What if the king would have said, why is it, why is it, Nehemiah, that you care more about your home than you do about me, your king? You ever had a conversation start like that with someone? Why do you care more about that than you do about me? I feel like you care more about them than you do about me. I care, you care more about your phone than you do me. You care more about your work than you do me. Have you ever had that? Anger's rising, jabs start, sarcasm comes flowing into the conversation. What do you need to do? Time out. Safety first. Safety first. An easy thing to think about is to do a contrasting statement. I don't. King, I don't want you to think that I care less about you. In fact, I do care about you. And I want to help your kingdom because Jerusalem's in your kingdom as well as my family. I don't want you to take offense. I do want to be in a good relationship with you begins to change the dynamic and restore safety. And you do not stop restoring safety because safety comes first until there is safety. Because you've never had a healthy conversation, have you, without safety? Because he made safety, maintained safety, not sucking up, but because Nehemiah maintained safety, here's what happened. And because, because of the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted me request because he maintained safety and because the gracious hand of God, because he prayed, the king granted my request. And he doesn't just like grant the request. I mean, he goes overboard. You can read about it in chapter two. Like he gives him building materials. He gives him army officers to go with him. He gives him cavalry to follow him. I mean, he's just a cupbearer for the king traveling across to Jerusalem, saving the day. I mean, it's just this incredible moment. But it's because he prayed and he chose safety first. The city was rebuilt. The king was pleased. And Nehemiah wasn't burdened by the weight of his people. And there wasn't bad blood. In fact, he removed a lot of the bad blood, if you read through the rest of Nehemiah, from Jerusalem. Imagine your bad blood situation. And I'm not saying this is going to happen. In fact, it probably will take some work. But just imagine if these two things played an important key role in that relationship. What if it did? Probably change some things. What if you didn't avoid it? Because in fact, just think about, what is the cost if you do continue to avoid it? What hangs in the balance of your decision to have that bad blood conversation? Is it worth it? And if you know, if the first thing that comes to your mind before you start justifying it away and all that stuff is, yes, it is worth it. Yes, I need to have that conversation. It's not just going to be one, by the way. It's going to be multiples. But if the answer is yes, pray and safety first. Pray and safety first. What would it look like if you went into work or your bad blood situation? And that's what defined it this week. It changed some things. And that's my encouragement for you. Now, before I let you go, I just want to ask you one last thing. Have you ever, ever avoided God? 
Yes, Pastor Taylor, I've avoided God. We've all done it. Have you ever avoided God? Why? Consider that perhaps the reason why is because there is some bad blood between you and your Heavenly Father. Is it really the reason that you haven't had that conversation that you've been avoiding God or you've been avoiding God in a certain area of your life or just altogether simply because you don't feel safe talking to God about it? Because if God exists for real, you wouldn't exactly feel safe. Why is that? Where does that come from? Is it because God's going to pass judgment on you? It's because Christians are going to pass judgment on you? Quite possible. That's why people don't come to church is because of those judgmental Christians and a judgmental God. Let me ask you another question. Do you ever create a safe space for God to speak to you? Do you ever acknowledge maybe the bad blood that you can have? Most likely, probably, let's be honest, the bad blood maybe that you've had more of a hand in creating than he has from your past that you don't feel too great about, that's kind of weighing you down. Has that ever come between you and, and having a safe, honest conversation with your Father in heaven? Has that kept the door shut, the walls up around your heart? Because you don't want God to have a part in that place in your life? I just want to be really clear before we leave today, that the God is pretty darn dedicated to removing, in fact, not just removing, but forgiving bad blood. We call it sin. It's when we wrong God or we wrong his children, the people whom we are sitting around. That's, that's sin. When we do not love as God has loved us, when we do not love our neighbor as God has loved our neighbor, God is pretty dedicated to that forgiveness, to clearing the table. God is hoping we would then take a step into the safe environment that he has created for us. For God so loved the world, Jesus didn't come to condemn it. So then why is it that we get this idea that God is just such an angry God sometimes? Is it more about what God has been telling us, or is it a little bit more about the bad blood that we've created between us and God? And we're just a little afraid of it, and we kind of just rather avoid it. So when it comes to your relationship with your Heavenly Father, and I don't know where that is, and I don't presume to know your story, but I would just encourage you to consider what prayer and safety first would mean in that relationship. Would it create the free flow of connection, of conversation that it creates when you have it between you and others? Or does it shut it down? When things are not clouded in our personal desires and our desire for me to have safety first, do you think it would help? Do you think it would contribute to our connection with our Heavenly Father? That's my second prayer for you. As you leave today, as you go back into the busyness of life and your schedules and your work and the concerns of bad blood relationships, that you would pray and put safety first in all of them. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that, um, especially for the relationships that come to mind, the bad blood relationships that we have, that we're going through, 
the bad blood connections that we have with people that may not be here, maybe some people that are actually here, maybe they're sitting next to us, the relationships that we've avoided, all of them, Lords, even the one that we can't even think about, that we honestly maybe have a little forgotten about, that you would help us to first begin with you. Perhaps we would begin with you in a way of, of restoring our relationship with you through prayer and, and acknowledging that you've kind of created a, f- a safe place, a, safe, a place of forgiveness, of grace, of mercy, and love for us to have that connection with you. And that then, Lord, we would take that relationship with you, now free from those burdens and that guilt and the walls that we put up around our relationship with our Father in heaven, and that we would take that same peace that now we experience with you, and we would bring that into the relationships that we have with others that may be more defined by bad blood than anything else. Lord, that you would help teach us and encourage us Give us the insights that we need if we are fully focused to understand and to prayer and to create a safe environment to help us work through those relationships, to persevere. This is not maybe something that we, a skill that we've learned, but it is something that we can learn. And it's something that we can bring in to these relationships. So Lord, help us to do that. Open the doors if that's what it needs. Help us uh, open those doors, those connection points to those bad blood relationships that we could have those conversations, and that when those doors open, that we wouldn't walk away, that we would walk forward, one step at a time. Give us the strength, the courage, whatever we need, Lord, to live that out. In your name I pray. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's message. I hope you feel more confident and encouraged to have those difficult conversations, those bad blood conversations, and not avoid them, especially when the conversation is between you and your Father in heaven. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll see you next time.